Modern life. Between careers, kids, and health, it can be mayhem. That's why we're here. I'm Dr. Lisa Varghese-Kroll. And I'm Dr. Lonre Falusi. We're physicians, moms, and longtime friends who break it all down for you. Wondering how to juggle all the balls and still stay sane? Looking for advice but don't want to be overwhelmed? Curious about how to make the most out of life for your family but enjoy it at the same time? You're in the right place. Welcome to Health and Home with the Hippocratic Hosts. On this episode, we are... Hey, Lonre, wake up! Oh, sorry, sorry. (laughs) On this episode, we're talking about sleep. Most of us could probably use more sleep or better quality sleep. So how does sleep or lack of it affect our health? And how has COVID-19 impacted sleep? How do you know if you're just tired or if you have an actual sleep disorder? And we share several tips on how to catch more and better Z's. Hey, Lonre. <laughs> it's been a long year, hasn't it? <laughs> yes, definitely. Definitely it has. But, you know, I am excited about today's topic. You know, how, how long we sleep and how well we sleep affects so much of what happens during the day, right? And of course, you know, the other side of that coin is what we do during the day can affect our sleep. So true. And, you know, I mean, there's a lot happening in the world that we might not feel that we can control. Mm -hmm. In fact, I'm having a hard time thinking of things I can control. (laughs) But that makes it that much more important to make sure that we're getting enough sleep so that we can face each day with the energy that we need. Oh, yes, 100% agree. You know, I find that when I get a full night's sleep, I'm just so much more productive during the day. Oh, same. You know, and and we should mention that we'll have a future episode on sleep in babies and kids that definitely deserves its own episode. But today we're talking about sleep and your health. So let's get to it. So, you know, there are two types of sleep. Most of us have heard of REM, rapid eye movement sleep, and non-REM sleep. And we spend more time in non-REM sleep, but REM sleep is deeper and essential to cognitive functions. So when adults have poor sleep, it's REM sleep that usually suffers the most. And that's a problem because getting enough sleep leads to better concentration, better learning, and better productivity. Not having enough sleep can affect the brain's ability to lay down memories. Your very brain function actually depends on the quality of the sleep that you give it. And sleep also impacts your heart health. It's been shown that your body can better regulate blood pressure and insulin levels if you've had enough rest, uh, which leads to lower risks of hypertension and diabetes. And good sleep may also lead to a healthier weight. This might not be a direct link, but sleep can affect the hormones that control feelings of hunger and fullness. And studies show that this might also be related to being more sedentary, having longer work hours, and late night snacking. And for you athletes out there, the body heals during sleep. Getting enough sleep may result in more endurance and faster speed. Conversely, though, poor sleep, like stress, can suppress the immune system. And we all know that's especially important to consider now, given that we're still in the midst of a global pandemic and are now entering cold and flu season. And poor sleep can also affect your body's hormone levels, including those that help with growth, fertility, and stress management. So chronically skimping on sleep may have far-reaching effects on your lifespan and your family size. 
I think that's so interesting because we, you know, people talk about sleep and right being able to focus and being energized, but these long-term effects, I think, are really, you know, right. worrisome to think about, or, or maybe, you know, I should say more motivating for us to make sure that we get good sleep. Totally. And we all know, you know, professional women who have had struggled with infertility. Mm -hmm. And some of that may be from delaying childbearing, but some of it also may be because demanding jobs afford less time for sleep. Right. Totally. You know, there are so many of these connections that science hasn't fully elucidated yet. And not getting enough sleep can be harmful, not just to ourselves, but to others. Um, one CDC study showed that one in 25 adults in the United States said that they had fallen asleep at the wheel within the last month. Wow. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration estimates that 100,000 police reported crashes are the direct result of driver fatigue each year. This results in an estimated 1,550 deaths, 71,000 injuries, and $12.5 billion in monetary losses. And that's a conservative estimate because fatigue may contribute to other primary causes of crashes, but not be included in the data. That is unreal. Unreal. I know. One in 25 in the last month. And I wonder too about, you know, when it, we can't stop thinking about COVID, right? But essential workers, people who are pulling longer right. hours, you know, with these tough jobs. I wonder if we pulled people now, if that number would be higher. Absolutely. And all of us are traveling those roads. Even if we're trying to stay home, mm -hmm. we're all going out for one reason or another. So this really impacts right. everyone. Right. Absolutely. So then what what can we do? You know, how do we prevent ourselves from being one of those 1500 deaths or 71,000 injuries from you know motor vehicle accidents from falling asleep at the wheel? You know, how can we make sure that our brains are productive and awake and alert during the day or, you know, that we're supporting our immune system and our heart health? You know, so there are some, you know, very simple things that we can do to make sure that we maintain some good sleep hygiene, as we call it. Some things you may have heard about and some of this might be new to folks. So, um, you know, for example, you know, adults need seven or more hours of sleep a night. You probably heard that. Um, but did you know that more than one in three adults say that they don't get the recommended amount of sleep? So oh again, my gosh. right, right. You know, it's so easy just to kind of put sleep on the shelf and you just say, oh, I'll catch up on the weekend or, <laughs> you know, just not think of it as that important. But um, as we just heard, it's so important, not just for the short term effects, but the long term effects for your health, too. So making sure that you get enough hours of sleep and then each day, each part of the day, there are things that we can do to make sure that our sleep quality is good. Um, so exercise for one, it is actually better to exercise earlier in the day when it comes to your sleep health. At least three hours before bedtime is what is recommended. Um, and part of the reason is that exercise releases dopamine, which is, you know, that happy hormone. Um, <laughs> so you may end up just getting being too energized to sleep if you exercise, you know, later in the evening. And of course, for some people, that may just be the only time of day that you can exercise. So better to work out, you know, when you can, um, even if it's not necessarily earlier in the day than to not work out. But if you're finding that you're just so energized after exercise, then maybe it's better earlier on the day. Other things that you can do earlier on the day is to make sure that you get plenty of natural light, which I know can be tough these days when, you know, a lot of people are working from home. But, 
you know, opening up curtains, letting in sunlight, um, or having other bright lights, even if you're indoors all day, um, can help with that. And again, most important in the morning or in the early afternoon to kind of signal to your brain that it's time to be awake now. And then kind of weaning that, that, that light as you go on towards the evening. So what this really means then is let's talk about screens. You know, we're all like always on our phones or tablets or other devices. So that's why, you know, the recommendation is to limit or really have no screens at least two hours before bedtime. That's so hard. It's so hard. You know, two hours, right? Like, especially when, you know, everyone is, you know, kids are maybe you're maybe you're checking your kids homework or, you know, you're like. FaceTiming with with grandparents or, you know, just texting. Waiting for them to go to bed so you can do your work. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Right. Right. Or, you know, or texting like your friends and colleagues to stay connected to people. So it's it is tough. Um, But the reason that the recommendation is there is that blue light is emitted from screens. You know, that's again, phones, tablets, TVs, computers. And this light, of course, doesn't actually appear blue to our eyes, but it's the blue wavelength of light. So that tells your brain to stay awake and to be alert. So that can be helpful during the day. Um, And there are, you might be able to find some like blue lights that you can um, buy uh, that people might use for things like seasonal affective disorder to kind of keep themselves, you know, awake and alert during the day. But that's not so great when it's time for you to go to sleep. Um, So a study in 2014, a Harvard study, showed that screen time before bed can suppress melatonin secretion. So melatonin is the hormone that helps your brain to know when it's daytime, when it's nighttime, when it's time for you to be awake, when it's time for you to fall asleep. So if you're suppressing melatonin, then that makes falling asleep take longer and it leaves you feeling less alert the next morning. And so it's also important to know that some of your devices may emit more blue light than others, but that might not even be obvious to the naked eye. Um, so that's why, you know, thinking about all your devices, trying to do your best to to stay off of them for the last two hours before bedtime. We recognize, though, that, of course, for some people and in some situations, it is impossible to stay off your screen later on in the evening. Um, So our hack of the week might actually help you to try to maintain some quality sleep, even if you need to be on a screen towards the end of the evening. So another thing that you can do to keep, you know, healthy sleep is to avoid large, heavy meals at least two hours before bedtime. Um, So that too will kind of keep you, uh, it will increase your insulin levels, which is not so great when you're trying to fall asleep. So if if you do, though, need a snack before bed, try to reach for something that's high in protein and low in sugar. So again, we don't want your sugar to spike when it's bedtime. So nuts, cheese, that sort of thing um, that's higher in protein. So definitely not a large slice of chocolate cake. Is that what you're saying here? Um, exceptions that can't can be, be what made. you're saying. <laughs> exceptions can be made. I oh, mean, good. <laughs> cake has like milk and eggs usually, right? There Those you go. Sources of protein. Yes. Yes. Yes, doctor's orders. The medical community will accept this. Right, exactly. (laughs) We'll convince them by bribing them with chocolate cake. Right. (laughs) Um, And then, you know, it's also, this might be one of the most important ones. Keep a regular schedule at night. Um, Similar routine and a similar bedtime each night 
Again, one of the most important and probably one of the hardest, um, especially recognizing that this includes your weekend sleep hours too. So let's say you normally sleep from 10 p.m. to 6 a.m., you know, Monday through Friday. You have your regular schedule so you can get up for work. And on the weekends, you say, hey, I'm going to stay up late, watch a movie. Um, and you push your bedtime back to 1 a.m. and you're getting up at 9 a.m. It's easy to think, you know, on the weekends, oh, I'm still getting the eight hours. That's great. But you've shifted your internal clock. So three hours, going to bed three hours later, even if you're getting the same amount of sleep, it really shifts that clock and and shifts your melatonin. So it's kind of like flying cross country over the weekend. Like you've just crossed three hours um, in terms of time zones. And then what happens during the week is that you feel jet lagged, right? You're tired. So that's why it's important, again, even on the weekends to keep a similar routine. And if anyone has trouble doing that, I'm happy to send my five-year-old over to your house because she will wake you up at six in the morning when you need to keep up with your regular schedule. (laughs) Um, And then the last thing is just kind of the environment where you're falling asleep. So ideally a cool, dark and quiet place, um, you know, bedroom or wherever you may sleep um, is the um, most conducive to having a you know, a full night's quality sleep. Um, but, you know, people may prefer different things. Some people do prefer soothing music. And there has been um, studies on this. So a, a review of previously published studies um, that came out in 2013 did show that music improved sleep quality among people with chronic sleep disorders. And the benefits actually increased over time. So you may find that soothing music, um, or uh, sort of like, you know, ambient noise um, might actually help with falling asleep. Um, but generally a place that's cool, dark, and at least not with a lot of loud, distracted noises um, helps you fall asleep more easily. So there are several common sleep disorders that you may be wondering whether you have symptoms of um, or maybe wondering how to recognize. And one of those most common disorders is sleep apnea. Apnea means that a person stops breathing. So sleep apnea is when breathing stops during sleep. And the most common type is obstructive sleep apnea, uh, in which a person's airway muscles relax, which causes snoring as the throat vibrates with each breath. And these throat muscles can relax too much and actually close the airway for a few seconds. Uh, When that happens, the brain kicks in to wake you up just enough to start breathing again. So what that means is that you spend the entire night falling asleep and jolting awake. So you never get a full night of restorative sleep. And you may not even be aware that this is happening because you don't wake up all the way, but you do wake up enough that you're not getting consistent deep sleep. Um, If you snore or gasp in your sleep, and especially if your partner notices that you stop breathing at times, you might have sleep apnea. And that's dangerous because it can cause daytime fatigue and it can increase your risk of illnesses like chronic headaches and diabetes. Another probably more common sleep disorder is insomnia. And this is the difficulty falling asleep, difficulty staying asleep, or waking up too early and then feeling tired during the day. So the things that we mentioned earlier can all cause insomnia, uh, evening screen time, stress, eating too close to bedtime and travel, especially across time zones. Not that we're doing too much of that these days, (laughs) but the increased COVID-19 stress makes up for it. Um, Also, caffeine 
You might not be downing a pot of coffee at 11 p.m., but caffeine might be a not-so-obvious ingredient in some medications for pain or colds, so look at your medicine cabinet for potential culprits. In addition to negatively impacting your sleep, it can also affect your concentration, mood, and your risk for heart disease and other ailments. Another common sleep disorder is restless leg syndrome, and this is the uncontrollable urge to move your legs, usually because of an uncomfortable sensation like throbbing or tingling. And it most often occurs while sitting or lying down, so it can affect your ability to fall asleep. It can be related to peripheral neuropathy, which is damage to nerve endings, but it can also be due to pregnancy or iron deficiency. There's no cure for restless leg syndrome, but there are treatments that can help relieve the symptoms in order to give you a better night's sleep. Another disorder is narcolepsy, and this is severe daytime fatigue with sudden attacks of falling asleep. And these attacks might come if you feel sudden emotion or even if you're just doing a mundane task. These might occur in conjunction with sleep paralysis, which is an inability to move for a few seconds or minutes while falling asleep. And that can be a very disruptive condition to live with. So these four conditions, sleep apnea, insomnia, restless leg syndrome, and narcolepsy, they can all occur individually, or a person can have two or more of these conditions at the same time. While they don't all have a definitive cure, for some people, use of a CPAP machine or changes in diet, schedules, or lifestyle may help to make these conditions more manageable. So how can you determine if you have one of these issues? Well, step one is talking to your doctor about whatever you're experiencing. She or he might order a sleep study, which involves staying overnight in a hospital or a sleep center. Um, they try to make it as comfortable as possible, and it may feel like you're in a hotel room. Hey, Lon, since we oh. can't vacation, <laughs> maybe we can find a sleep center that's taking visitors yeah. for like a relaxing evening. Away. Right. I was going to say, I miss I'll wear the hotel CPAP. Rooms. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Sleep study sounds lovely. Put those sensors on. <laughs> our standards have fallen. <laughs> so low. But, so low. <laughs> our point is that a sleep study is nothing to fear. Um, sensors are placed on you to track your breathing and heart rate, oxygen level, leg movements, snoring, and other sleep behaviors. And, you know, Lonra and I have both seen sleep study reports on our patients, and it's amazing how much information they provide. So we definitely encourage you to reach out to your doctor if you have concerns about your sleep. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. I think that's, you know, always something that, again, that we take for granted around sleep, you know, wondering if if I can catch up on the weekends or in a couple of days, then, then I'll be fine. But totally. really sometimes, yeah, sometimes there are these just sleep disorders or other conditions that are really affecting our health and talking with your doctor is definitely the first step, you know, and now, you know, on to COVID-19, which has affected pretty much every facet of life, <laughs> right? And sleep so has sad. not been spared. Yeah. You know, sleep disturbances are so common right now that some sleep specialists have coined the term covid somnia. Yeah, you know, that we're all having trouble falling asleep. And, you know, there are multiple ways that COVID-19 has impacted sleep. You know, the first, you know, I think probably the most obvious one is just, you know, anxiety that people may be having or, um, or signs of depression. You know, we're definitely in a time of uncertainty or people have fears about getting sick, not being able to see their loved ones or even losing loved ones and being in grief. And essential workers sometimes working, you know, without sufficient PPE. You know, there are definitely some major systemic and policy changes that need to happen 
to get this pandemic under control. And so many thanks to many of you who are working on those issues. Yes. You know, right. And then the things that are under our own control are things that we should also think about prioritizing. So we need to prioritize our own physical health and mental health to help maintain that quality sleep. So we definitely would encourage all of you to listen to episode 12 of our podcast. It's all about self-care and we provide a lot of suggestions on how to care for ourselves and for our children during this time so that, again, we could all just have the optimal sleep and op- optimal health even during a pandemic. And the second way that COVID-19 has affected people's sleep has to do with self-medicating. So there's been an increased use of sleep medications, which is, you know, maybe on the surface, it's like maybe that's not a bad thing if medications are being used to help people fall asleep and to stay asleep. And, you know, that's what we want. But the danger is that if sleep medications are misused, they can actually disrupt your sleep. So when doctors prescribe sleep medications, usually they're recommended to be used temporarily, like maybe for two weeks. So if you find yourself using sleep medications more often, and especially if you're not feeling rested when you wake up, then please talk with your doctor. You know, there are many ways of getting sleep more effectively than with medications. And maybe there are other strategies that you may want to try. And then, of course, like you can't talk about COVID-19 without talking about new schedules and new responsibilities. And all of that is affecting our sleep as well. You know, people are caring for ill family members or quarantined members of the household. I mean, there's more to do, but there's still only 24 hours in the day last time that I checked. So, you know, we may just have to like reduce our expectations on ourselves so we can get enough sleep. You know, can that laundry get done tomorrow rather than tonight? You know, and also, of course, to share responsibilities across household members who are able. And this goes back to self-care. And a big part of that is making sure that we get enough sleep. And during these times, it's we really just cannot expect that we will all be working at full productivity in every <laughs> corner, every aspect of our lives, right? So, you know, making sure to at least uh, to prioritize that sleep, I think, is one of the best things that we can do for ourselves right now. Couldn't agree more. And now it's time for our Physician Mom Hack of the Week. So our hack has two parts this week, and the first one is the use of blue light filters. So as we mentioned, it's discouraged to use screens within two hours of bedtime because the blue light that they emit can disrupt sleep. But for some of us, that may not be possible due to the nature of our work. So here's our first hack. Use blue light filters to help your brain stay on track with winding down at night. So for your phones, start using night mode when the sun starts to set. It might be called night light or night shift, depending on your type of phone. So look to see if you can set it to automatically start at a certain time each day. And for your computers, you can buy a filter for your computer's screen. It looks like a piece of plastic that hangs from the top of the screen, but they're pretty powerful for blocking those blue wavelengths of light, which again, aren't necessarily visible to the naked eye. And then there are blue light glasses. These are the most portable way to block blue light. And you can wear them, you know, to use any device. We highly recommend doing due diligence on the product that you intend to buy and checking out all the reviews that people have posted on them because quality does vary widely online. 
But when you find a good one, it can make all the difference. And our other hack this week is recognizing your sleep window. That is the time at night when your body is the most tired, and it's a different time for everyone. Do you notice that you tend to fall asleep in front of the TV in the evenings or while reading your kids a bedtime story? If so, take note of what time that tends to be, and then rearrange your schedule to accommodate it. For a week, make sure that you're in bed during your window. I'll have to say this alone did wonders for my sleep because paradoxically, once that window has passed, you're awake again, and it can actually be impossible to get full restorative sleep for the rest of the night. So missing that window can actually mean the entire night is shot. But working your schedule around your sleep instead of your sleep around your schedule is a little secret that could bring you big rewards in terms of your energy level, your mood, and your long-term health. So we hope that you're able to pick up some tips from our episode this week, and we definitely wish you lots of long, restful sleep this coming week. (laughs) So thanks so much for listening. Uh, Friendly reminder, you know, we would love for you to support us by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you like what you hear, definitely share the podcast with a friend. Um, And please subscribe and review us on Apple Podcasts. Thank you all so much. Sweet dreams. Thanks for listening to Health at Home with the Hippocratic Hosts. Remember that all views expressed here are our own, not our employers, and all content is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as medical advice, nor the establishment of a doctor-patient relationship. Always consult your own physician or healthcare team for any medical issues. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate us, subscribe, and tell a friend. And check out our website at www.hippocratichosts.com for show notes on this and all our episodes. Can't wait to chat with you next time.